from, from time to time in, uh, in churches not unlike ours, something covert happens that nobody knows about. There are people that, that come to the church um, ostensibly as guests, but they're actually something called a search committee. And they are here to scout the pastor and see if they like him, okay? So they can hire him to come work at their church. Now, this is, to my knowledge, we've never even got on the scout list for anybody here at North Lake. So, but imagine if we did, okay? Imagine that, that they did. And imagine that they came and they liked me, Okay? And they were from a really important church. Okay. Let me rephrase that. You guys are really important. Uh, from a really prominent church, okay? I mean, really prominent, like, like this church, okay? National Cathedral in D.C. Their search committee comes down here, and even though I'm not Presbyterian, uh, they decide they, they want me to come and be, I don't even think they call him the pastor, I think they call him the dean. It's that important. And uh, I'm thinking there's a few perks that would come with being the pastor of the National Cathedral. You get just a little bit of a facilities upgrade, right? Uh, I doubt their pastor's office has wheels. Um, <laughs> but, but imagine that, uh, as long as we're imagining things, um, imagine I say no. I turn the offer down. Why? Why would you turn an offer like that down? This is the opportunity, opportunity of a lifetime. Why wouldn't I go there? Okay. A lot of reasons. Um, one, one would be, I actually believe in God. Okay. Their, their current dean calls himself a non-theistic Christian. I think he's one non-off. He's probably a non-theistic, non-Christian. Um, but, but at any rate, why, why wouldn't I go? Apart from small considerations like that, why wouldn't I go? It's a bit of a puzzle to have an opportunity of a lifetime in some ways and not pursue it. There are a lot of reasons, but, but, but puzzling. Let me not one up, I'm going to one-up the puzzle for a minute and imagine with me that you're Jesus, Okay? bit of a stretch for some of you. You're Jesus, and you have just died on the cross for the world's sin. You've risen from the dead on the third day, mission accomplished. But you decide not to go back to heaven. You decide instead, you're going to say no to that, at least for the time being, and for the next 40 days, you're going to stick around this dirty little planet. Why? Why would you do that? Why did he do that? Because you may not realize that after the resurrection, Jesus hung around dusty little first century Jerusalem for another 40 days um, showing up. Why? Why did he do that? And today we're going to drop in as we start our new series in the book of Acts. We're going to drop into the first few verses of the book of Acts that focus on those 40 days. And see if we can glean some, um, some insight about why, why, if I can go old school on, on you for a minute, why did Jesus tarry? Okay? Why did he hang around for those 40 days? 
Now, uh, before we pray, though, and open up to Acts, we are going to start studying the book of Acts for the foreseeable future. Um, how about this month, you guys join me and we read the book of Acts. There's about 28 chapters, so if you read a chapter a day, you can read in the month. So, like on the first day, you read the first chapter, second day, second chapter, you'll, you'll be done ahead of time. And I know some of you are thinking, but it's the third. Okay, okay. I'm going to ask you to go all crazy now and read three chapters today and catch up. I know that it's just, I don't know what came over me, but maybe you could read all three chapters today and then tomorrow read the fourth and we'll read the book of Acts together as a church family this month. And, um, and then that'll set the stage for us as we, as we continue teaching. But let's pray and open to Acts chapter 1. Father, have mercy on us. Show us the passions that drove your son during this really extraordinary period of time. That we might welcome them. That we might align ourselves with, with the reasons that he stayed around. To make sure these things were embedded in his church. We ask this for his sake and in his name. Amen. Well, the book starts this way. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up and after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Now, right away, if you read that, you realize that the book of Acts is volume 2. Um, there's another volume, he says. There's a first book that he wrote about. So this, the book of Acts is volume two. Think two towers, okay? Those of you who are into that kind of thing. This is the second. Um, the first one we know to be the gospel of Luke because if you look at the beginning of Luke's gospel, it's real interesting. It's very similar. In verse three of that first chapter of Luke's gospel, it says, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So Luke, the Gospel of Luke is volume one, Acts is volume two, and both are addressed to Theophilus. Okay? So who's Theo? We don't really know much about Theo. He was probably a socially important person. He calls him most excellent so he had some social standing. Um, he had been taught the faith, so he may well have been a Christian, probably a Gentile, non-Jewish Christian. And, and he's writing, Luke is writing to him to strengthen his faith so that he may have certainty about the things that he has been, been taught. Um, but it's interesting, when you look at what it says in Acts... It says in the first book, Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. The gospel, the gospel of Luke that tells Jesus' story, you know, womb to tomb and resurrection, is just what Jesus began to do and teach. Acts is another volume of what Jesus is doing following his resurrection and even his ascension back to heaven. Um, Volume 2 is what Jesus continues to do by means of the Holy Spirit acting in the church. Now, if you look at the top of your Bibles, at the top of Acts, it probably says the Acts of the Apostles. That's a title 
It's not part of the Bible. Somebody thought this book really needs a title, so they put that on it. And honestly, none of the commentators or scholars like that title. Nobody likes that title. So they come up with suggestions. They've said it should be the Acts of the Holy Spirit, since the Holy Spirit's really doing all the stuff in Acts. It should also, another one has suggested it should be the Acts of the Risen Christ, for reasons we've just seen. It's continuation of Jesus' work. Probably one of the longer titles is the Acts of the Sovereign God through the Lord Messiah Jesus by His Spirit on behalf of the church. They kinda, it's not very catchy, but they kind of get it all in there, right? Jesus is risen. He's not dead. And by the Spirit, in the book of Acts now, we see Him continuing His work through His body, which is called the church. And Luke begins this second volume, these further works of the risen Christ, by recapping the way that he ended volume one. He's looking into that 40-day window of puzzling appearances by Jesus. He tells us, I think, why he stuck around. So, in verse three, we read, he presented himself alive to them, Jesus did, to his disciples after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Clearly then, one of the reasons that Jesus hung around was to convince his disciples of his resurrection. Okay? As soon as people start saying, no, I don't believe you, I don't think you really, Jesus would show up again. Okay? For 40 days, Jesus is showing up. There are at least 10, probably more, sightings of the risen Christ during that 40-day period. Every week or two, there's a Jesus sighting, and it's just confirming them that he really did rise, convincing proofs. Um, For instance, this is um, from Luke 24. Jesus has risen, and he meets with his friends, and he said to them, why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they, were sti- while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. So Jesus is just helping them believe. He stuck around for 40 days on this dusty little planet, letting them touch him, eating real food with them, showing up over and over again to convince them and any other disciple that would follow since that he really, really did rise from the dead. It's that important that Jesus would stay to convince us. Um, Paul writes about the importance of the resurrection beautifully. He says in 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ had not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we're people most to be pitied. It's that important. Jesus kept hanging around to make sure his disciples, to make sure we got it, that he was risen. I like the way Tim Keller says we should think about the resurrection. He says, think of Christ's resurrection as a store receipt. If you're in a department store, you buy some clothes, you should always ask for the receipt. Why, he says? Because if you're still walking around the store, a plainclothes security person could stop you and ask, Excuse me, can I look in your bag? And if you don't have a receipt, you could get in some trouble. So if somebody stops you, you want to be able to hold up your receipt and say, Oh, plainclothes security person, 
trouble me not, okay? Because this proves that this has been paid for and I don't have to pay it again. He says this, he says, the resurrection is a giant receipt stamped across history for all people to see, a receipt that allows you to know that your future is certain if you believe in Jesus Christ. So before we go any further, do you have that receipt? Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and the sins of the world, and then on the third day he did rise from the dead? Are you convinced of that? Is that your deepest conviction? Jesus stayed around, gave all these appearances so that we would believe without question that he rose on the third day. And and true faith in the resurrection changes everything. For 40 days, that's why Jesus stayed. It mattered that much that he would stay so to make sure that we would get it. Now, it says also in that same verse... In verse 3, it says that he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So when Jesus would appear, what he was talking about is what it would look like to live not under our rule, but under the rule of a loving heavenly father, the kingdom of God. And he was teaching his disciples what that should look like as the church is unfolding in the future. Um, Have you ever heard of the Republic of Malasia? It's a really, really small um, country that consists of a three-bedroom house and a 1.3-acre yard outside of Dayton, Nevada. Um, There's a guy named Kevin Bao. I'll introduce him to you. There's Kevin. Um, Kevin would prefer that you call him by the title on his website, His Excellency President Grand Admiral Colonel Dr. Kevin Bao, President of Malaysia, Protector of the Nation and Guardian of the People. Okay, And as you can see, he has the uniform, the medals, and the fancy hat to prove. He is what's known as a uh, micro-nationalist, and he has raised a flag in his front yard and declared himself to be an independent nation. Um, He has, according to the Chicago Tribune, a uh, space program, which consists of a model rocket, He has a currency, which is pegged to the value of chocolate chip cookie dough. He has a railroad, model size, a national sport, broom ball, and in his landlocked desert region in Phoenix, a navy, which consists of an inflatable boat. Um, He goes on to say that he is a 45-year-old father of two. Here he is. I assume those are his kids because this is what the caption says. The president speaking with Molossian children. There's, There's only two of them. And they're his, right? <laughs> but he, uh, he is a micro-nationalist, a, a part of a wacky band of do-it-yourself nation builders who raise flags over their front yards and declare their property to be, as Bao puts it, the kingdom of me. Okay. And for him, it's just a joke, but it is a, it's, a, it's a model of what we like to do. The kingdom of me. We raise our little flags, declare ourselves His Excellency or Her Majesty, and we want to rule. Um, Jesus stayed around for 40 days to help His disciples see that that's not how the church should work. We live under the rule of another, our Father in heaven. We live under His rule. He is our King. 
Over and over, Jesus delayed his return to his former glory for those 40 days to teach his disciples and us about what it meant to live in the kingdom of God. It mattered that much. So Jesus stayed around in order to um, convince us of the resurrection, to teach us what it means to live in God's kingdom, but that was not enough. There was something else he wanted to ask his disciples to do, probably the hardest thing. He wanted his disciples to wait to wait on God. It says, while staying with them, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. It's interesting. It's not a suggestion. Y'all might want to hang around. It's an order. Do not leave Jerusalem without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is adamant about this. It's like, you know, you ever seen those TV shows or signs? Don't try this at home, right? It usually doesn't say try it at a friend's home, but don't try this at home. Jesus is adamant. Do not try this. Do not try to accomplish the mission without the Spirit. It will end disastrously. Don't leave Jerusalem. And it's interesting, while, while the Spirit, we saw as we studied the Holy Spirit, He's really active in the Old Testament, but this is something new. That's why they had to wait for it. Okay? It had not yet happened, this baptism of the Spirit. And we'll talk more about that in the weeks ahead when we get to chapter 2 and some of the other passages that talk about it. But here's a good paraphrase of that fifth verse from John Piper. He says, Jesus said, John immersed you in water. I'm going to immerse you in the Holy Spirit. John drenched you in water. I'm going to drench you in the Holy Spirit. You need this in order to be effective instruments of my life in the world. You need to be baptized, immersed, drenched in the Holy Spirit. And this is what the prophets, the Father had promised through the prophets. Isaiah 44, speaking about the end of time, I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. Um, Luke records that Jesus taught similarly in, in Luke 24. Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. The Spirit has been promised by the Father. The power that he brings is so vital that Jesus forbids his disciples to leave the city and start the mission without that empowerment. And that's one of the reasons he stayed around these 40 days, to make sure that his disciples knew they needed to wait until they were empowered. And 10 days after this, that power is going to come. Verse 6 so when they came together, the disciples, they asked Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So there's all this talk about this outpouring of the Spirit that restores everything rightly. Um, and it makes them wonder, is this what the prophets had predicted would be the end of time? Because prophets like Ezekiel say, I will not hide my face anymore from my people Israel, but when I pour out my Spirit upon the house of Israel declares the Lord. So there's going to come a day in the future, the prophet said, when God would pour out his spirit on his people, they would be restored to a right relationship with him and everything would be made right. And so they want to know, 
Jesus. Is that what you're talking about when you talk about the Spirit being poured out? Is it, is it that time? Is it the time when Israel's going to be restored? Um, Jesus' answer essentially is, wrong question. Watch, watch what he says. So they came together and they have this question. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So it's not about figuring out the time at the end of the end, Jesus says. And Jesus has always taught that. Remember in Matthew when we studied it, Jesus says, concerning that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Jesus focused themselves on something different. It's not about a calendar, Jesus says. It's going to be about a map. Because you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem where they were, in all Judea and Samaria, the surrounding areas, even to the end of the earth. So Jesus refocuses them. The Spirit's power is needed to accomplish the mission of being witnesses to the end of the earth. It's not a harbinger of the end of time. The Spirit is the essential enablement for the mission of the church. Being Jesus' witnesses here in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, even to the end of the earth, is to be the preoccupation of the church until Jesus comes. Paul writes about the Spirit's empowerment when he writes in 1 Thessalonians that our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. So it wasn't just words, but it's words that affected their lives. Such that, Paul would say, you know our example. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. You received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit and became an example to believers everywhere. Okay. So, by becoming witnesses, he's talking not just about proclamation, but he's talking about a life deeply rooted in the conviction that the gospel is true and that it is worthy of suffering and, and our joy in that gospel being ours perseveres even through times of hardship and suffering. Um, the church, though she suffer has a joy that cannot be taken in the gospel. Being Jesus' witness surely involves speaking about him. But Jesus seems to have more than that in mind, that it would be a life full of conviction that withstands suffering marked by joy. And he kind of lays out here what um, Dale Bruner calls the table of contents of the book of Acts. The whole book kind of unfolds geographically around Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. The first seven chapters that you're going to read this week, um, you'll find that almost everything happens around the city of Jerusalem. Then in chapters 8 to 10, it moves out to Judea and Samaria, 
comes back a little bit in 11 and 12, but then 13 through the rest of the book, it goes and continues to expand and to move out until eventually it ends in Rome, which to them was the end of the earth. Okay? And so this is really like a table of contents in verse 8. The whole book will kind of unfold around this movement of the gospel. That's why Jesus says, don't worry about the calendar, get a map. You're going to the end of the earth in my name as my people. Um, and this, you need to know, this has been happening steadily throughout history. Started in Jerusalem, that one little city. Look at this map. Uh, the blue, the darker the blue, the more Christians, to the point where in places like uh, South and Central America, 90 to 100% of the people there profess to be Christians of some sort. Everywhere there's blue, you have significant levels of Christians in countries. The gospel has spread that far over the centuries. What Jesus promised is unfolding, okay? And we're part of that. If you walk into our conference room, our conference room wall looks like this. Those are North Wake families scattered all over. Those are in in Asia and in, over in India and some in Africa. I couldn't even get a picture of it all. I had to back up. You can see we've got some way over even in North America. There's people down here in Papua New Guinea, the Croslands. Um, God is using our church to fulfill his promise that we would be witnesses to the end of the earth. Okay? Now, work is not done. Much has happened to spread the gospel over the centuries, but there's still a lot to be done. You see these, um, this map is color-coded, and the green areas are where the gospel is most established amongst different peoples. The red areas is where there is almost no gospel witness. Those people don't have a Bible. They don't have a church. Humanly speaking, they have no way to hear the good message of Jesus. Okay. So there is tremendous work that's yet to be done. So let me, let me encourage you. Let me challenge you. Come back tonight at 6 o'clock. Meet with us in this room. We're going to spend an hour and 15 minutes praying through this verse. Starting in our Jerusalem and praying for our friends and moving out to our church plants in the area in Tampa and D.C. and to our people that are spread all around the globe. Because one of the ways the Spirit loves to work is not only through proclamation, but it's also through prayer. I ran across a fascinating, fascinating example of a pastor of a church in Phoenix. And he asked his members, he randomly pulled 80 names from a phone book, and he asked his members to pray every day for 90 days for those 80 names. So 80 people were being prayed for for 90 days, about three months. He took another 80 names, and he set them aside, and he said, we're not going to pray for these 80 people. And then at the end of the time, they made phone calls to all 160 people, and they asked them if they would be willing to have a Christian come and visit them and pray for them okay, in their home. And of the, of the 80 that did not, were not prayed for, only one said yes. Of the 80 who were prayed for for 90 days, 69 said yes. 45 of them invited them to come into their home and have coffee with them and gave them specific requests that they could pray for. The only difference between the two lists is that the one was prayed for. Okay. So come and pray. Give me an hour. Okay? Come back tonight at 6 o'clock and let's pray. 
Let's pray for the kingdom of God to expand to the ends of the earth. Let's see what God does with your neighbors. I, somebody grabbed me between services and told me that they were praying for their neighbors. And, and this particular lady, her approach is to say, God, devastate their world so that they will see you're their, their only hope. So when the husband got out of jail, um, they were here this morning in the first service. Um, what will happen when we pray? The mission of God is going to unfold in amazing ways. Um, one of the reasons Jesus waited around was to give the church her mission one more time to make it crystal clear. You, by the power of the Spirit, will be my witnesses to all peoples everywhere so that one day there's no red on that map. Okay. Now, it says uh, in the next verse, when Jesus had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. Um, we call this the ascension, when Jesus ascended to heaven. It's interesting, it starts and says, when he had said these things, the things he had just said were, you will be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Those were Jesus' last words to his disciples. He ascended, sits now at the right hand of the Father where he has authority. The psalmist anticipated this, said, the Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And so Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father where he has full authority to send the Spirit and expand the kingdom amongst all peoples. Ten days later, the Spirit will be poured out in Acts 2 and this unfolding of the gospel to all nations will begin. But these were his last words. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria into the end of the earth. Those were Jesus' last words. And when you get a chance to think about last words, uh, last words matter. I mean, you choose last words. If you get a chance to choose them, you choose them really carefully. I know, I remember um, in January, it's been uh, six years ago. Actually, it's been longer than it's been eight years ago. Um, I picked up the phone and had my last conversation with my dad. My brother had called me and told me that he had taken a turn for the worse and he was in a hospital in Peoria and he wasn't going to make it through the night and I knew. This was, these were last words, okay? last conversation. And so they were not, I guarantee you, they were not flippant words. Um, they were not just whatever popped into my head. I wasn't asking him about how the weather was or what was going on with his car. Uh, these were words that I had carefully thought about and prayed about. And when my brother put that phone to his ear, uh, these are the words that I spoke to my dad from, from Jesus' words in John 5 and 6. I said, Dad, Jesus tells you the truth. Whoever hears his words and believes him, the one who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. My Father's will, Jesus says, is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. And I told my dad, I said, Dad, just look to Jesus. Last words have a weight about them. And if, you, if you're on the receiving end of last words and it's from somebody you love, I don't know about you, but I want to honor those words. Okay? 
Um, and Jesus' last words are, you, you will be my witnesses. Where you live and the areas around where you live, even to the ends of the earth, you will live and speak for me. By the power of the Spirit, we should honor, we must honor those words. And we'll take a swing at it tonight at 6 o'clock. Well, as you can imagine, they're gazing up into heaven. Jesus has just gone up in a cloud. And as he went, two men stood by them in white robes. The last time we saw two men in white robes, they were outside of Jesus' tomb, proving that he had risen from the dead. And here, I wonder if it's the same two angels. Now they're here kind of straightening out the disciples. They say, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up to heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So it's, it's like they're saying, hey guys, it's not about staring into heaven. Um, it's, there's work to be done, okay? There's a commission that's just been handed to you. To be engaged as his witness, it's more about a map than a calendar. It's to be obedient to his mission, speaking, living, sharing Jesus from neighbors to nations, not staring at the clouds. There's work to be done. And these two men are pointing the disciples to that great work that Jesus has just entrusted to them and to his church. Jesus said in Mark 14, I am and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Even as he went up to heaven in a cloud, there's going to come a day when he will return in those clouds. Just as surely as he ascended, so too will he return. Until then, by his Spirit, Jesus has commissioned us to be his witnesses. That's why he stayed for those 40 days, to equip the church, to share the good news of our Savior. So if you'll bow with me, I'd like to pray for us as we seek to carry that out. Father, have mercy on us. Start thinking about being witnesses, and Lord, you've been kind. You use our church in amazing ways 